<laughs> I don't know every model. I don't know any models, so you uh, could make something up and I'd be like, sure. That'll be it. Sounds good. That's the Bikisti 7409912. Alpha 9 or 9 Alpha 9 or 9 <laughs> Fubar. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the coming in hot, stim you not, Kristen Bloom. You're a jackass. <laughs> you were standing over there thinking of that, weren't you? I, I came up with it while I was peeing. You're a jackass. <laughs> You're mad. You're keeping my money from me. <laughs> They'll get it sorted, love. But I want to buy nice shit. No, I'm just I just want to check it on my savings. I'm just mad it's not in my savings. I'm like, I want my savings to look pretty. It needs to be bigger. It'll get there eventually. It need to be bigger. That's what I tell myself every morning when I wake up. <laughs> but we are here today, not for a two-star Tuesday. Not yet, bitches. We're here for our tumultuous, <laughs> tectonic... Oh. Whatever the fuck, we'll come up with a name. We'll come up with a name when you guys start paying us. But we're here to talk Die Hard Part 4, Live Free, Die Hard 2007. I really had a name for it. I wish I could remember what it was, because we said it on one episode. No, the Tuesdays. (laughs) I said it on one of the episodes, and I can't remember what it is. You're going to have to go back and listen. Testicular Tuesdays. <laughs> Testicular Tuesdays. <laughs> Testicular Tectonic Tuesdays. <laughs> we were going to do Marvelous Mondays, but then occasionally we'd have to do three episodes a week. And I was going to do Must Watch Mondays. Must Watch Monday. Yeah. Might still happen. Must Watch Tuesday. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> ring as well. <laughs> Need to come up with a fucking synonym for Must Watch that begins with a T. Test Watch Monday. <laughs> Tuesday. Test, Test Watch Monday is the opposite, love. You fucked up a beautiful Monday title. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to talk Live Free or Die Hard 2007. Yeah, didn't you say you thought it was 2012? I thought wrong. it was 2012. Wrong, I'm a Bloom. fucking amateur. I graduated that year. I was in high school when I saw it in theater, so you think I would have put those two together? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I couldn't remember when I saw it. I don't think I saw it right away when it came out. I think I saw it like on VHS or whatever later. It looked really cool. <clears> That's how old I am. <laughs> it looked really cool on the big screen. It was so loud and exciting. That's what she said. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't know who ever said. <laughs> it has a pretty high score all around. Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it a 82 percent. Uh, audience gave it an 86. Hell yeah! And uh, IMDb did 7.1. Where do you sit with it? Mm, seven five to eight. I'd be there with you as well. I think the critics got it right. That 82. I mean, it's fun, but that's all it really is. <laughs> <laughs> It's better than two. It's everything's better than two. <laughs> um, Hamlet two was better than Die Hard two. <laughs> <laughs> this was directed by Lynn Wiseman. It's mm-hmm. based on a story called uh, "A Farewell to Arms" by John Carlin. Yeah, it's an article Char- from oh, characters by. Yeah, I thought characters was part of John's name. I was like John Carlin characters. <laughs> John That's Carlin a strange character. name. No, I'm gonna read that here in a minute. The opening couple of paragraphs to "A Farewell to Arms." It's. Um, John Carlin. It was released in 1997. May the 1st, 1997. Uh, it was done for Wired magazine. Do you want to go ahead and read it now? Or? No, no, no. We can get through no. this. And we'll then... do the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the actual screenplay was by Mark Bomback, though. Um, still 20th Century Fox, and still crushing it budget-wise, they spent $110 million. Can you imagine having $110 million just to give away? Well, their, their executive salty. producer here, I learned, was the same dude who did Terminator 1, 2, and 3, so I think they had that money sitting around. I am salty about my 600 These bitches had $110 million. Not fucking around money. Um, but their box office was $388.2 million, so you made it back. Money well spent. That's how you get that kind of money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> Give me my money, money, money. Money. Fucking government. <laughs> so in this film, we've got, of course, the return of the great. Of the Mac. And of the Mac. The return the, of the Mac. I don't know you that don't know song. that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's from like the 90s. <laughs> we have the return of the great and, dare I say, the sexiest version. 
Bruce Willis McCain. is John McCain. <laughs> I know. I caught what I caught what you were doing. McCain. <laughs> I mean, it's closer McCain's to McCain's age, you know, from what I remember in this mm. film. John McClane. It's our MC per usual. He's the back to being a New York City police cop. Yeah, and I don't know why they added that note to the Wikipedia page. God, like, if you made it to Die Hard Four and you were not aware that he was an NYPD officer. Oh, he was very briefly an LAPD though. This is true. He, he had a brief stint in that movie we shall not name. As an LAPD. <laughs> the, the one that ends in er. Um, and then you've got the brilliant Justin Long plays Matthew Farrell. That's our uh, hacker sidekick character with all the witty lines. Exactly. I learned today he's one of the voices on F is for Family. So he's still working. Who's he playing F is for Family? Uh, one of the sons i think he was in jeepers creepers and i totally mm-hmm. forgot that until i was looking at his imdb we haven't done uh roles these people have been in for any of these so i didn't do it today but i was like oh yeah he was in jeepers creepers hell yeah timothy oliphant i'm going with he's our bad guy thomas gabriel yeah as you said he's our bad guy you've, so seen, that was him my in, you've seen him in two episodes of the office and you'll thank me yeah, he, was yeah he was in the office for two episodes and that's where i remembered him from he was he's- also hitman in the Hitman movie. I was going to say, he's done a lot of stuff. I've definitely seen him in some other stuff. I forgot he was in The Office, though. Mm-hmm. He's got... He's got a face. He's got douche face. Yeah. Like, he's got a face <laughs> where, like... And I, I'm not... My bad, Timothy. I'm not trying to judge. He's got a face where he always looks like he just smelled shit. <laughs> like, his, his face always kind of looks a little curled up like he just angry. smelled something bad. Yeah. No, not even angry. It looks like, like Ray Liotta meet Anthony Jesselneck. It's not like an intimidating <laughs> face. It's like what stinks in here face. Yeah. <laughs> he has a face of... Shits in the room. And then you've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Lucy Gennaro McLean. Depending on her mood. <laughs> um, she's the MC's daughter. Hell yeah. Maggie Q as Mylin. That's uh, our Asian who... Uh, you got any more hot ninja <laughs> chicks you can send dead, my way? Dead Asian hookers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. who, who takes a dive down the elevator shaft. The incredible, multifaceted legend himself... Kevin Smith He's as the, the warlock. The quote-unquote loser character who lives in his mom's base in, basement who's the ultimate hacker. Mm-hmm. But I totally forgot Kevin Smith was in this. And he may be my favorite part of the whole movie just because he's Kevin Smith. Fun trivia fact from today. Uh, Kevin Smith rewrote the entire scene with the warlock because he wanted to punch it up. He made it too funny. Bruce Willis could not make it through the takes and he had to do like a third rewrite to make him less funny. And he's still goddamn hilarious. Kevin Smith is a hilarious dude. I do like him a lot. They had a TV show. Um, shoot. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it was like like one of those like reality type mm-hmm. TV shows. Um about a comic book store that I think he owns. Yeah, um, is it Clerks? No, it's a. It, it came out like a couple of years ago. It's oh, more okay. recent. But Kevin Smith wasn't like the main character in the show. He would just pop in every once in a while. But I'm pretty sure he owns the. Um, it's like a comic book slash like collectible store. So yeah. like people come in and try to sell like their collectible items, but they also have comic books. It's Comic Book Men. Oh. That's what it's called. Um, I was like, it's Is something it like literally related to comics. Pawn stars for like classic nerds. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, actually exactly that. Cause yeah, people come in and try to sell their shit and they'll tell you like all yeah. about it and what it's worth and all that. I but can yeah. only give you $15. <laughs> literally pawn stars <laughs> for nerds. Um, but yeah, it's like called Comic Book Men or Comic Men or something like that. And the intro is like the, it's like three or four main guys that actually run the shop. And like it shows them like in superhero <laughs> mode or whatever. And every once in a while, Kevin Smith pops in because I'm pretty sure he owns the shop. Yeah. It could be wrong about me. that. But it's, if you're into nerdy shit, mildly interesting. And also Kevin Smith. I definitely watch <laughs> it. I'm not really into all that nerdy shit. But I, I love Kevin Smith. I'm for it. Dogma. One of my favorite films. Um, and then... Cliff Curtis plays Miguel Bowman. Um, I only left him on here because there's a couple of side characters I crossed out. I only left him on here because he's the character that uh, McLean is constantly calling to be like, dude, where are you at? What's going on? Why is our shit all fucked up? And then they have that meaningful moment where he's like, if I die, don't let him get my daughter. (laughs) Give me your word. And that's the only scene Bowman really matters in. (laughs) All right. So do you want to do the synopsis first or should I read what this thing Um, was kind of based on? You do the synopsis and then read it. Okay. So John McClane, sexier than ever. He's hanging out. He's just being him. Keeping tabs on Lucy. Him and Holly are long 
divorced. He's sober, though. He's sober now. Doing better. Got his pension. Or maybe not sober, but he's definitely not mid-hangover the whole movie. <laughs> <Yeah. There's that. clears> Took flying lessons uh, <laughs> since we last saw him. Um, he uh, gets wrapped up when a bunch of terrorists try to fuck some shit up, this time by shutting down the grid, taking over the grid, rather, and creating absolute fucking chaos in the streets. And he has to save the world from internet warfare. Uh, he has to protect Justin Long's dude who's hilarious and doesn't understand his old image-isms. And then McLean kills a helicopter with a car, kills an Asian girl with an SUV in an elevator shaft. Kills a whole bridge with a plane. Kills a whole bridge of people with a plane. And, uh... Turns out it's still all about the money in the end. Still all about the money. Still about, you know, your social security cash. Speaking of the goddamn IRS. Where's my fucking money? <laughs> Where is my fucking money? And then he uh, he yippee-ki-yays his way in one of the best yippee-ki-yays of the entire series. Yippee-ki-yays his way into killing the bad guy. And uh, rides off into the sunset with Lucy. Right? Yeah. And an ambulance. So and, it's not. And Lucy's trying to fuck his... Uh, Sidekick. Feral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I have not read <coughs> Farewell to Arms, so... Yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing, because it's rather long. It's not Hemingway's Farewell to Arms. That would take several podcasts. <laughs> so, but, we get to learn about this together. Yes. So, this came out in Wired Magazine on May the 1st, 1997. It was written by a guy named John Carlin. From what I understood, right, um, he's a English writer. He's, like, in his 60s now. Um but he's an English writer. He's done a couple really big pieces, Farewells being one of his biggest ones. And they changed Farewell into a screenplay for a movie called WW3.com. That screenplay got sold, got revamped, and became Live Free or Die Hard. So the initial concept is highly based on this article by a journalist. So if you're a writer out there and you're writing articles as a journalist, try to do one this beautifully. And you might also have Bruce Willis. <laughs> Although that original dude probably didn't make anywhere near the amount of money they did. Oh yeah, not <laughs> not a shot. In head. He was selling to Wired in 1997. It was like fucking uh, Bill Gates and like six other people were probably reading it back then. <laughs> and so it begins. For those on the ramparts of the world's sole superpower, the digital winds are blowing an icy chill through the triumphant glow of the post-Cold War. People in Washington play lots of games, but none for higher stakes than the day after. They played a version of it in the depths of the Cold War, hoping the exercise would shake loose some bright ideas for a U.S. response to a nuclear attack. They're playing it again today, but the scenario has changed. Now they're preparing for information war. The game takes 50 people in five teams of 10. To ensure a fair and fruitful contest, each team includes a cross-section of official Washington, CIA spooks, FBI agents, foreign policy experts, Pentagon boffins, geopoliticos from the National Security Council, not the soldiers against the cops, against the spies, against the geeks, against the wonks. The day after starts in a Defense Department briefing room. The teams are presented with a series of hypothetical incidents said to have occurred during the preceding 24 hours. Georgia's telecom system has gone down. The signals on Amtrak's New York to Washington line have failed, precipitating a head-on collision. Air traffic control at LAX has collapsed. A bomb has exploded at an Army base in Texas, and so forth. The teams fan out to separate rooms with one hour to prepare briefing papers for the president. Not to worry, these are isolated incidents. An unfortunate set of coincidences is one possible conclusion. Another might be someone, we're still trying to determine who, appears to have the U.S. under full-scale attack. Or maybe just round up the usual militia suspects, as they do in this movie. The game resumes a couple of days later. Things have gone from bad to worse. The power's down in four northeastern states. Denver's water supply is dried up. The U.S. ambassador for Ethiopia has been kidnapped, and terrorists have hijacked an American airline 747 en route to Rome. 
or en route from Rome. Meanwhile, in Tehran, the mullahs are stepping up their rhetoric against the great Satan. Iranian tanks are on the move towards Saudi Arabia. CNN's Christine Amapower in a flak jacket is reporting live outside the U.S. Embassy in Adid Ababa. ABC's Peter Jennings is quizzing George Stephanopoulos on the president's state of mind, when suddenly the satellites over North America all go blind. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> do you feel the influence <laughs> on this film? <laughs> I do find it interesting, though, that um, for, this isn't something we've talked about on any of these other ones, for um, this series being a bit more progressive with minorities, mm-hmm. um, all of the terrorists are foreign for the most part. Yeah. Like, the main dude in this one is white, but all of his helpers are Frenchmen, French, I guess. for some reason. And he's got an Asian helper. Yeah, um, so, hmm. And that was talking about them kidnapping the ambassador to Ethiopia and kidnapping mm-hmm. people in other countries and stuff, so I guess that's why it made me think of it. Um, interesting concept. I, I do wonder why Die Hard feels the need to make foreigners the bad guy. <laughs> foreigners are always the bad guys. <laughs> racist there for being progressive about black people. <laughs> I didn't get any of that out of Farewell to Arms. But I just thought it was interesting. And I wanted to show off my reading skills before my tongue got fat. Your reading skills. That's interesting. I, I'll say I'll read it. I probably won't. It's but... really cool. Yeah. It's a little long for an article. 2020 standard. But yeah, it's really well done. It's written like that throughout where he's just kind of building tension and it almost feels like a Tom Clancy story like wrapped inside of an article it's fucking awesome does a white guy with a gun save the day no no there's no characters it's just talking about world politics so if you're into geopolitics you're curious about how the internet you know was viewed in 97 and that guy like predicted what the fuck was gonna happen (laughs) at least for Die Hard (laughs) I may or may not give it a go All right. well okay well let's move (laughs) forward then (laughs) The world is interested. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do find that interesting. Because um, like, my my big thing that I want to talk about, and we can we've got a couple of notes here, but is like this. As I've said on you know the last episode, this feels like a diehard for our times. This feels like a post nine eleven diehard, which it is, you know. But it seems to address the concerns of like our generation more than. Like, if somebody's hijacking a plane to us and die harder, you know, you're like, well, why is they, why are they not rushing fucking everybody, <laughs> like, trying to figure out the world? Why are there not jets flying in? Die Hard so, 2 was before 9-11, right? Yeah, all three of those. Okay. I was like, I can't remember what year any mm-hmm. of those films were now. Yeah, it was like 88, 92, and 96, maybe. I don't know. 94 and 96. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but because they happened before that massive event the concept of a terrorist needed to be updated post 9-11 and this one feels like we live in an era where we are concerned with the ramifications of the internet concerned with the nsa concerned with terrorism and all of that gets addressed you know in this one film through a dying action star he's not <laughs> dying he's pretty young but <laughs> yeah yeah Bruce Willis is uh, one of those people that found the Fountain of Youth and has never really aged since. <laughs> he aged very early and then stopped aging. Uh, but no, I do... I, I'm curious for the reasoning for that. Like, I... I, I don't know. I, w- I wasn't, I guess, old enough to be thinking about that stuff or wondering about that when the other diehards came out. Um, so, like, where the world was <laughs> as far as our mental thinking of... Um, travel and foreign people and stuff like that i'm not really sure if we were like on edge about foreigners but like i I do find it curious that pretty much all of these movies had had a foreign bad guy and then this one in particular post 9-11 does have um a domestic terrorist yeah well yeah Mm -hmm. yeah an american guy is the head of the operation um but then it's still foreigners surrounding him so i don't know if maybe there's that fear of like People defacting and or Defected. defecting, defacting, defecting, defecting. That's when you just day. lie. Had a long day. <laughs> Defects. Um, defecting. Um, because I, I, I know there was that big fear of people like joining 
al-Qaeda mm-hmm. and stuff and kind of helping to tear down the country from the yeah. inside and extremists that were like kind of sleeper cells or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, it's an interesting thought, like having the bad guy be a white American guy this time around, yeah. but then he's still running a terrorist organization of foreigners. Do you think it's a play on like the warfare of old? that was addressed in the article because this is a technological thing and America is the technological powerhouse, especially when it comes to warfare, um, that he would be the character that brings it all down. Like we couldn't just have an Osama bin Laden because I don't want to downplay you're, 9-11. You're, you're treading on dangerous. Yeah, I don't want to downplay 9-11, but we, as Americans, we realized a lot of shit and the world got a lot of, a lot scarier. And now it's, you know, We've lost more people to coronavirus this year than were lost in those attacks. Yeah. You know, so like it's our own infrastructure attacking us in a way, which is kind of what the character himself is literally doing to American soil, but as it's reflected by another American. This conversation is way too smart for me. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a reply for that. <laughs> yes. All right. The answer so is yes. So he kills a helicopter <laughs> with a car. And it's the coolest shit that has ever happened. I don't know. Do you think that's really the, like, the pinnacle of the movie, though? Like, I mean, it's like a... It's the entire plot. <laughs> that he's, he's shut down... He's doing the fire sale. He's killing off all of the no, things that no, I mean the helicopter. prevent us from I mean, being... I mean, the helicopter oh. part... No, because, I mean, it's like there are these cheesy action bits where it's yeah. like you have the helicopter being taken down by the car, <laughs> and then you have the shootout with the airplane on the bridge, yeah. which is just absurd. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I think there's something significantly more scary about, oh, we're just going to take away your resources. Mm-hmm. So then it kind of becomes a little, like, disappointing. I think that they blow up the building, which eventually knocks yeah. out the grid. Like, the rest of it feels way too fucking clean. Yeah. And, and then it's one of the things that we kept pointing out was, like, it it tries to be smart. I mean, it is a, a, a smart action film. I'm not taking that away from But every time they fuck... Jax. Can't be destroying shit just because you're feeling a bit better. All right. Hey, buddy. And we're back. I don't know how we're going to splice this together. Can you pose the question again? <laughs> oh, no. We were talking about, um, like, the action that's being kind of gimmicky. That's right. The scary thing is just somebody subtly with a computer taking away all of your necessities. Mm-hmm. Like, when they go into the... Uh, is it the building that controls the lights? I can't remember what the building <laughs> is. Um it's one of the buildings, though, where it's not, like, all just, like, up in the cloud or whatever. Yeah, they got to yeah, physically yeah. go there, and um, they're shutting it's down the power grid. It's their version of the NSA, yeah. Yeah, they're shutting down... Oh, no, not the not the last building. Like, the building that gets blown up, um, mm-hmm. where they're fighting Kicking Lady. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're like, they go in there because they have to manually be in there to shut down their power grid, and there's something significantly more scary about a group of people just going in and tapping a few things and being mm-hmm. like, now none of you have power. Now it's over. Versus they blow the whole building up because he doesn't get his way, and he's yeah. mad because he yeah. killed his girl. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say before Jax completely threw off the rhythm to this big, intricate thought that I was in the middle of, um, is it comes off as very smart, um, but... When it doesn't work, it quickly becomes unnecessary. Like somebody had to break in at the beginning of the film, had to break into Matt's apartment to plant C4 that is then rigged for some unknown reason to only explode when he hits the delete button, as opposed to why don't you just have a remote control and then you just blow Matt up? Like, also, why did you set up this very intricate plot if you could have just walked in there and shot him in the face? <laughs> I also am not like a computer hacker, but I consider myself moderately computer smart. And I don't know why any of the hackers are hitting the delete button just because the computer's glitching. Like, delete doesn't close programs down. Yeah, you would hit your control-alt-delete, though. Or, well, but they they only show them just hitting the delete mm-hmm. button. Like, I, like, my instinct reaction, depending on what program was open, would just be to reboot the entire computer. Yeah. 
That would be hilarious. Your bomb never goes off. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be <laughs> like, like, "Are oh. we gonna kill her?" No, no, she'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eventually, I'd need the delete button for something. But like, all of them You'd be have... sitting there filing your taxes. You got one of those big. Like, great, oh shit! I hit the wrong letter. Fucking Microsoft Excel, and then accidentally blow yourself up in the middle of taxes, and it's the saddest <laughs> death anybody's ever died. Yeah, um, no, I, I think that's curious because they show it. Um, when one dude actually gets killed, like, the computer glitches out and he's like, ah, fuck, and he's hitting the delete button to try to close stuff down, and then um, Matt almost does it. But I'm like, I don't think I've ever had my computer freak out and I mm-hmm. hit the delete button for anything. Yeah. So, I'm confused by that. <laughs> but also, yeah, uh, there are definitely moments where it, yeah, like, why didn't they remote detonate the bomb? Yeah, um, didn't remote detonate the bomb. Um, they got all these fancy fucking things where they hack in to do the dispatch so that they can bring them into a place where they can assassinate them, and then that goes to shit, and then they just resort to flying a fucking helicopter at them and really pissing them off. I'm 90% sure there wouldn't be a pilot flying a military plane solo through the city. He'd probably have some yeah. form of backup. He also probably wouldn't <laughs> be flying through the city at all. And if one random voice that didn't have... Like, anything to do with his normal boss or whatever was like, yeah, just start shooting on civilians. I'd be like, can I get a confirmation on this? <laughs> it's like, are we 100% sure that's what's like, going on? Definitely... I thought those were his henchmen in the helicopter. No, that was like a... Like a police chopper? I, I think it was like a military plane, because I'm pretty sure she hacked into the intercom system on the plane. Oh, the, the, the jet. Yeah. I thought we were still talking about no, the, heli- the helicopters. Were the you bag, said yes. helicopter like oh, three my times. So in my head, we're still at the other part. And I was like, no, just one of the henchmen falls out when he kills the, with the Yeah, the, the uh, helicopters are the bad guys. No, the jet fucking yeah. flying around the city was like <laughs> military, just fucking uh, shit Air up. Force. I don't know what he was. He was just a lone pilot that just happened to be in the city with no other military personnel yeah. with him. Just hitting it in an F-35. And <laughs> one random person comes on the intercom activates his uh, missiles and says, start firing. And he goes, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to start gunning shit down. Is there not a password? I'm over like, here. <laughs> is there not a safe word? Like, I don't feel like I've never been in the service. I don't yeah. feel like it would go down that How way. How fragile though. is the Air Force? How fucking dumb are these pilots? <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't think it'd go down that way. I don't buy that. I think somebody did not talk to the right people. Yeah. Um, so do you... I don't really know where to go forward with the... Smart movie, dumb decisions, <laughs> because there's so many of them just for the sake of action. Um, no, I kind of want to talk about, because I, I do like it overall as a movie. Um, I, yeah, there are just some questionable choices that I'm kind of like, eh. Where does it um, sit with you in the series? I would say it's probably my second favorite. Yeah. You like it more than three? Yeah, um, just because I feel like three feels like a repeat. It's a three-peat. <laughs> um it's it's very much like we just kind of repeated one because two yeah. didn't go off as well as we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> what about my argument that two never should have existed and the perfect trifecta would be one, three, and four? <laughs> I feel like for sure, for the sake of trying to make it seem a bit more fresh, uh, eliminating two would help because I think having... Holly be the damsel in distress two movies in a row is just absurd. Yeah. Because um, nobody has that battle luck. Like, Except not, for John. <laughs> just would not play out that way. And like the idea that somebody purposely came back for revenge for two, two being three, mm-hmm. um, makes more sense because then somebody had a grudge that they were trying to enact and then... If the third one did still come later on down the road when he was older, it's like all this time's gone by and mm-hmm. he just happened to be wrong the senior place, police, <laughs> yeah, the senior police officer, legit in the wrong location, um, and that makes more like it makes it seem like a more fluid mm-hmm. series. Um, but yeah, three did still kind of feel a bit like we were trying to repeat one because two just wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I respect that. How about you? Uh, uh, three is still my second favorite film. <laughs> um, I do like that this is... Four is apparently Bruce Willis's favorite. That This is four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because they're, they're not labeled one, two, and three, and four, so I'm like trying to keep up with the actual <laughs> titles. Um, I do like, but also kind of begrudge the bad guy. Um, I feel like at this point in the series, Die Hard is kind of leaning into because they've had success with it this mastermind bad guy who's Mm -hmm. kind of moving all these other parts and then he's got a series of henchmen with him that bruce willis has to take on 
Um, I think this bad guy is interesting. I definitely think it's interesting that um, he really honestly isn't terribly smart as far as what's happening in the movie. He has all these underlings doing all the actual work Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really seem to know how to do the work himself. He just knows how to move the pieces to get the work done. That's what I like about him as a character as a whole Um, because of this version of John McClane um, where he doesn't really understand this evolved world that's happened around him to have like the younger you know, Gen Xer type, you know, character who's super uh, computer savvy, but is not good at like on the ground, fucking ready to rock, you know, fighting shit that John's good at. Mm -hmm. They've they've got their own specific skill sets. I do like, though, that they don't make um, Matt cliche. Um, Like, yeah, he clearly is not the hand-to-hand fighter. He Mm -hmm. gets his ass kicked uh, a few times, I think. But I, I like that when he's given the opportunity and McLean's like, I'm going to go, you need to just stay yeah. here and stay out. He nuts up. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, he gets in the car and he, he doesn't pretend like he's tough. He's just like, I'm going to go because we got to go, you know. I can't hang out with the warlock tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like that. Like he's not stereotypically wimpy. Like when he yeah. needs to be the guy that has to take charge, he takes charge. Like in the end, whenever he's the one firing the gun, like... Weirdly, he looks like he knows how to fire a gun. Yeah, because he's been watching John the whole time. <laughs> he's like, oh, hold it like this. Squeeze, squeeze. <laughs> squeeze, he, do- he doesn't have a problem with the safety being on, exactly. unlike uh, Samuel Jackson's character, which is significantly less believable. Uh, <laughs> a dude in Harlem. If we're going to have a slightly discriminating moment, I don't buy that, yeah, the 60-year-old black dude in Harlem in the 90s doesn't, doesn't know, know how to use a gun. <laughs> and the white hacker does. I'm calling bullshit on that. <laughs> it should have been a whole joke about he plays too much Call of Duty. You know, yeah, there can't you go. hit shit. No, the easy line blows a whole magazine, misses the bad guy entirely. I don't get though. I will say, um, I guess, kind of back to negatives a bit. I like um, the way Bruce Willis and Justin Long play off of each other quite a bit because yeah. Justin Long is so much younger, and so that like you still get the McLean one-liners. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like you, you get that sense of like Justin Long thinks Bruce Willis is stupid, and Bruce Willis thinks Justin Long mm-hmm. is you know a wimp, and it's kind of like cool dynamic of like the younger generation and older generation i don't get why they put so much emphasis on justin long's character needing to feel guilt for writing a code when his code seems to just be a password to a door yeah that's pretty much all he's done yeah his code doesn't actually do anything to help as far as we see in the movie Mm -hmm. take down anything at all like the only time his code comes up is when he needs to get inside the building and he's like oh this is mine (laughs) all these other people died before they even had the opportunity to open the safe i'm just the dude who knows how to open the safe yeah so (laughs) it seems weird that they put because like he has this whole moment when they're out in the street and he sees everything falling apart where he feels like all this weight and all this guilt Mm -hmm. and i didn't mean for it to come to this and it's like you didn't technically do any of this. Yeah, they would have just got one of the other guys they killed <laughs> to do this. Yeah, so it's it's weird, I feel like, that they didn't play up the value of whatever his code was supposed to do. Yeah, should have done something crazy. Yeah. Like early in, where it's like, then he becomes a redemption arc for the rest of the story. Yeah, like he's got to fix the thing that he's broken, where it's just like, oh, it's a yeah. neat moment, let me type in some passwords, and I, I don't get either period how his code was relevant in that moment because that door was a door that already existed that already had a password to it so how does his code help solve the password to the door (laughs) maybe i'm too dumb to understand i don't know i don't understand computers or the science (laughs) but i liked him you know like as the sidekick character type dude Uh, my favorite scene with them as far as chemistry is concerned is that drive after he rescues him before everything goes to shit and they're having the argument about CCR. He goes, mm-hmm. it's classic rock. And he goes, just because it's old doesn't mean it's classic. And he's like, bow now, bow now. <laughs> I like CCR. <laughs> he's like trying to get him to play different music. Yeah. Like, you listen to the news. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I love that dynamic between the two of them. And it it plays as a foil with our bad guy. Do you think that the movie is 
action-wise less believable because Bruce is older now, though? No, because I think they do enough of, holy fuck, my back hurts in the movie. Like, when he rolls out of the car, he doesn't just hop back up on his feet, you know, like he would have done in the older ones. He skids, and then he's, like, trying to pull himself up on the back pumper, giggling like a dumbass. He's like, I can still do this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it felt like he was actually feeling the effects of what was going on. Like he doesn't walk out of this one like he does in all the other ones, you know, in his wife beater covered in blood. Like he walks out shot and covered in like soot and dirt and, you know, he's in rough shape, but he's believably, you know, old rough shape. I think what makes Took less chances, but at the same time killed a helicopter with a car. (laughs) Yeah, that was still, I stand by that being ridiculous. Um... I think what makes it work for me, because I think at some point you are kind of pushing the boundaries of can someone in an older age bracket still do these kinds of things, which not that Bruce Willis is that old in this movie. Um, But at some point, action stars are hanging in there a bit too long. Um, Seeing the Expendables. Um, I think what makes this series work for me in particular, though, is from day one, like film one, they always kind of established him as not being particularly invincible. He's just mm-hmm. a smartass, so yeah. he likes to talk like he's invincible, <laughs> and then we see him get his ass handed to him. Yeah, and then he does something really dumb to save the day. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he always, in every movie, gets hurt in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me that makes it a little easier to overlook the fact that he's a little bit older, because it's like, oh, like he could die, you yeah. know? Like, he could get hurt, so... Interestingly, I don't think Justin Long ever gets hurt. He gets dropped down that one shaft, and I'm pretty sure he would have broken his arm yeah, if that was real life. pretty much okay. Yeah, because he landed straight up on his elbow, and I was like, oh, he would have broken his shoulder at least. <laughs> um, yeah, he never gets hurt. Oh, no, he gets shot, and that's not true. He does get shot. When, where does he get In shot? In the knee. Oh. Towards the, towards the very end of the movie, he does get shot. Uh, surprisingly lucky streak for a sidekick, though. <laughs> a nerdy white sidekick. God damn. No, I, 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 I like old Bruce Willis. I think Bruce Willis acting-wise got better as he got older, for sure. For sure. Like Especially he... in this role. Like, this felt like it was fun for him. Like, it felt like he, he didn't need the money. He's just coming back because he loves the character. I love that they included, just because it's like a, a huge part of his character in the two other movies that matter, because I forgot to do it in the second film. Um <laughs> The talking to himself to, like, amp himself up. In particular, I'm bringing it up again, the kill the helicopter scene where, like, he's climbing over all the other cars so that he can get to the busted up police car so he can shoot it at the... The whole time, he's just, God damn it, why can't I see him? <laughs> he opens the door and looks down when he's about to hit the helicopter. He's like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> um, shoot, I was going to say something and it left me. Oh, no, I don't know what it was. Is it weird that only his daughter is in this film? I think so, yeah, actually. I do. <laughs> Thanks for reading it. I read that all. I just <laughs> looked down and started reading words. Uh, no, I was going to say something not related to that. Fucking left me, damn it. No, I do think it's weird. Um, I like that, again, Holly's not just repeatedly a damsel in distress every single movie because it was silly to do it twice in a row. But they mentioned his wife in passing. His wife, last we heard, is in L.A. Mm -hmm. So why does his daughter live in New York? Where does his son live? And does his wife still live in L.A.? I think most of this takes place in D.C., doesn't it? Does it? Yeah, they blow up the Capitol building. Oh, yeah. What, why is he in D.C.? He, he's in like three or four different places because he had to go down to Camden or whatever he wants to go pick up Matt because he was the closest. It doesn't make sense. It's a plot hole, plot hole, plot oh. hole. They go to three different states throughout the events of this movie. It takes place multiple days. It's the only one that does that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he goes to go see Lucy. What I like about the dynamic, though, I don't feel like we get the damsel in distress of Holly. Mm-hmm. Um in this film, Lucy definitely takes after her dad in temperament. Like, at the beginning, which is hilarious because you can see for a brief minute Bruce break character. I learned that, that phrase today. It's called corpsing. It's when you start laughing on set and it gets caught and put in the film. So when he's, you know, standing there with the boyfriend after he's pulled the boyfriend out of the car and the guy's like, you're damn right, she's going to bed early and he's like staring at her or staring at him. You could see like the corner of his lip curl up. Hmm. Um, 
Why is it called corpsing? I don't know. That's it's an weird. English theater term. That sounds like there are <laughs> corpses everywhere. That's a weird way of putting that. Yeah, but um, like outside of that scene, like once she gets kidnapped, she's fighting everybody. She's making fun of everybody. She's got a lot of the same things to the point where I mentioned while we were watching it, like would it be cheesy or would it be awesome if they did like a later down the line, Lucy McLean? As like a diehard female uh, offshoot. Not for the sake of doing a female offshoot, but just for the sake of Lucy McLean was a badass in this movie. I mean, she was an interesting character, and I do like that she was an empowered character, but I just feel, I, I don't know. I feel like after a don't while... Don't touch it. <laughs> I feel like after a while, you don't need any more offshoots. Like, we're four in at this point, and there's a fifth movie we haven't watched yet, and it's like, do you really need a whole spinoff? Like, mm-hmm. you can make a whole new franchise like Tomb Raider, where... Yeah. The main character is... Is a badass. Yeah. Um, not to say that you couldn't make a neat series out of Lucy kind of carrying on, but that, I mean, it'd be basically the same movie. Lucy fighting <laughs> terrorists, because I guess Lucy decided yeah. to be a cop too. I don't She's know. She's fighting Hansa's <laughs> granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like after a while, it's like, why don't we just have a new character with a mm. new story? Um, so yeah, I don't know that I would want to see a movie about Lucy. Um, unless it was Lucy having to save her dad, not Lucy carrying that would on be the interesting. legacy. John McClane's geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy's gotta go kick some They've butt. kidnapped his retirement home. <laughs> Lucy McClane is climbing through an air duct. <laughs> <laughs> I might watch that movie. Um, but yeah, no, I do. I think it's strange. Like, why is Lucy in whatever state it is Lucy's in? I don't even know what state mm-hmm. then uh, Lucy was in. Uh, where's her mom and where's her brother? And they literally never even once mentioned that he had a son. He yeah. mentions that he had a wife, that he has a daughter, that he no longer has a retirement fund. They don't yeah. even mention that he has a boy. Well, I foresee that's going to be my issue with five because my understanding is five revolves around his son. So they're just going to forget so he has a daughter? Probably. <laughs> Lucy's probably not in five. They're I've not seen five. I've mentioned no once again that he had a wife, he has a son, and he no longer has a retirement it's fund. It's like I fell out with Lucy after the weird incident in those three states I where I killed a whole bunch of people. Matt. with her. <laughs> she wouldn't talk to me after that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's weird to make a movie where someone literally has the ability to terrorize the entire country and he mm-hmm. doesn't snatch up wife, son, and daughter. Yeah. <laughs> like if he's got All so much... Once. Yeah, if he's got so much control that he can just spontaneously pick any of them mm. up, why doesn't he pick them all up? And he's like, I'll kill them all. Yeah. I've got them. I've got Zeus. I'm bringing, I'm bringing Samuel L. Jackson back Al. for the third act. I'm getting Powell. You know? Al? I thought it was Al. I got the two Johnsons and the new Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do make that joke in this one. Yeah. Your name's Johnson? Well, they make a lot of references to the older films. I kept pointing them out as we were going along. Like, there's the fight where, like, the bad guy dies after falling down the stairs. And, like, all the, the elevator shaft that's to come back for the umpteenth goddamn time. The joke about flying because he's nervous to fly in the first and second films. and. Uh-huh. That's right. He's yeah. He's like, I had to learn how to fly. <laughs> I totally forgot that he's yeah, just the, balls with the feet. Yeah. In the carpet. Balls with the toes. And then he takes flying lessons. To overcome so his fear of flying. Now. now he knows how to fly a helicopter for this movie. He doesn't know how to land one, though. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but he did, he didn't know how to land the airplanes either. In two. He tried. No, but they did they land. They crashed. It. Well, they, they landed the second one because all you need is a lane of fire, apparently, <laughs> to figure that out. I don't believe that. I killed that. your brother. yippee ki I don't believe that, that you could judge depth from a licking flame. I mean, it's you better don't... than no licking yeah, flame. but you don't know where the bottom of the flame is. <laughs> you misjudge that. You're dead. We can't go back in time and shit on two, love. We're in four. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't mind. Um, this is obviously a movie that came out later on. Um looks a lot different yeah. than the other movies do you think that's for the better or for the worse i'm very torn because i'm a huge fan of practical effects and they did a lot of practical effects in this movie but they also did a lot of like green screening like early what you're gonna see in the avengers later on you know mm. we're watching it and i'm going holy fucking michael bay you know <laughs> unnecessary explosions left and goddamn right so I always prefer the practical effects. I think for when this film came out, like it's going to come right before Transformers. 
Like, it's going to come out right before the big Michael Bay's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they tried to use as many practical effects as they could. Like, our hardcore parkour guy, you know, fucking going up and down is an actual dude who does that kind of shit. He actually got crushed by those spinning blades. He actually got crushed yeah. by those no spinning longer blades. With us. He's, he's dead. He's deader <laughs> than Bruce Lee's kid. But he got paid, <laughs> his family got paid very handsomely for that role. Yeah, they <laughs> actually launched a car on top of two other cars with a crane. They actually hit a helicopter body with another vehicle to do it and then they did a lot in after effects to like lay these scenes out um bruce willis actually got a scar on his eyebrow from this film because the stunt lady who plays the asian chick kicked him in the face with her high heel oh. <laughs> fucking split him Ouch. down to the bone and he got stitched up and he's like it doesn't hurt that bad and they kept filming <laughs> <laughs> you know um but I, I think i prefer the practical effects like, nothing in this film, and it's impressive, it needs to be this because of the threat that it's trying to convey. It's mm. trying to enter Die Hard into this new realm. No single explosion in this film hits as hard as the opening sequence for Die Hard 3, mm. when the, they actually blew up a shopping center and shot a car across the road. <laughs> like, I think some of it, though, is, yeah, definitely way over the top. Like, whenever he hits the Asian lady with the car. It's like, what are the chances <laughs> that that exact, like, parking garage or whatever it was he was doing loops around led exactly to the room that he needed that he could hit her <laughs> and it would perfectly line up so they'd go down an elevator shaft. It's like, come on, that's probably not really Yeah, and the going. weird Matrix jump building to building that the guy does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but you, you but have you to do... He, he does know how to do that, though. So. Yeah, he does. But you have to do it for the fucking line with the SUV where he's like, you know, what's her name? Where he's like, Lynn, Lynn. And he goes, ah, Lynn, she's at the bottom of an elevator shaft with an SUV shoved up her ass. <laughs> <laughs> what's her name, Lynn? Ma. Ma Lynn. Um, but not even just the effects, though, because you made a comment on the coloring of it. Like, um, it's very green, yeah. Well, very blue. Um, True. I think that that's what people think of when they think of quote-unquote cinematic is like heavy shadows and kind of like deeper tones, like mm -hmm. a lot more blues and greens and just heavier tones like that. And um, well, you brought it up in the opening sequence when he was still trying to save uh, Matt from uh, being exploded by his own yeah. computer and also being shot by the mob dudes that apparently couldn't afford a remote detonator. Because <laughs> um, the apartment is very blue, like oddly blue. Um, he doesn't really have like any lights on and you kind of get this weird, I guess it's supposed to be like moonlight effect coming through. Um and I didn't mind it then, but yeah, a good chunk of the movie is weirdly blue in places, mm -hmm. and I noticed that, um, which that's a weird aside, because we're not talking about that show, but I noticed that last night when we were watching Bates Motel as well, like, very um, unnaturally colored in some yeah. scenes. But almost like, Matrixy, where it's like, like that, that greenish-blue, almost like a turquoise tint, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I... I like the way it looks if you're just looking at it because it's like, oh, it's pretty lighting, it's pretty color, it's, it's soft. very, it's very moody. Mm -hmm. Um, so it makes you feel kind of like either in danger or like down or whatever. And um, I like the vibe of it, but it is weird because like we're sitting in our living room slash kitchen right now. Um, <laughs> I'm in the living room. You're in the kitchen, <laughs> oh, and that's how dining. apartments work in 2020. I'm in the dining room. I guess the kitchen's <laughs> over there. But um, indoor lighting is very um, yellow and, like, very orangey, um, unless you purposely buy white lights. Like, most lights in most people's apartments is kind of this much dimmer, softer, like, orangey color. Um, so it's kind of weird, yeah, to see a movie like that where it's, like, color corrected so blue and, like, you see mm -hmm. it and you're like, oh, it's pretty to look at. And it looks really moody and it looks really tense and really serious, but you're like, but if I walked into his actual apartment... It's not going to look like no, that. No, it's not going to look like that at all. Like, the shadows aren't going to mm -hmm. look like that. The lighting is not going to look like that. So it is kind of interesting that we've kind of tossed aside um, some of the realism for, like, this cinematic look in this movie. Well, the opposite of that, I would argue, is uh, the classic Godfather, where in certain scenes it's too dark. 
because they couldn't get enough light you know into those cameras back in the 70s so you wind up with like you can hardly see what the fuck's going on it just looks like silhouettes moving with the silhouettes <laughs> so you don't get that dynamic focus but that's closer to what you would see i guess if you were you know half blind in the real world mm-hmm. <laughs> but i don't know do you think do you think that takes away from the movie do you think that makes the movie seem Better production value. I don't think it takes away from an action film. Especially going into Die Hard, you know, slash Michael Bay era. You know, I'm expecting to see shit get blown up. I'm expecting to lose a lot of the brilliance of the practical effects to this, like, love that I do not understand of the computer. When I play my video games, I don't feel like I'm there. And until they they make me feel like I'm there, I don't trust them in film. I feel like it it, it dates the movie, if that makes sense. Like There's certain scenes here where the CGI looks like a video game that was released in 2007. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it, like the bridge, like the bridge, it it pulls you right out of it. So like I think they went too hard too early in. It's like oh we can just be lazy now and hire a kid, you know, a guy with a computer to do something, you know, instead of think, just blowing it up like I don't we used think that's to do. Lazy. There's... It's definitely not lazy. It's really intelligent. I'm sure in '07 it was mind blowing because to me it was mind blowing when I saw it in the movie theater. But it doesn't like it dates the film. It doesn't mm-hmm. age well. No, our... It's like Godzilla when he's like little fucking <laughs> 1930s Godzilla. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that it's lazy. A lot of a lot of work goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, hours of rendering and uh, editing footage and stuff. But You're talking into your hands, look. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I I do think I agree when it's not done in a way that seems very like realistic it almost never ages well Mm -hmm. like whenever it's not something you would really expect to like see yeah um cgi almost always eventually gets better so a couple years down the road it does just kind of look silly um but I, i like i don't know i have mixed feelings as someone who um likes dark moody blue movies and yeah. i i personally like when i see an image that looks that way like instinctually think oh that's very cinematic looking which is kind mm-hmm. of a weird thought um i took a photo of literally just the corner of a i have like a metal um frame that'll hold like backdrops or whatever and it was literally just the corner of the metal frame with a bit of cloth draped over it and like edited all dark and moody and blue <laughs> and i was like that photo of the corner of my backdrop frame looks cinematic yeah which is absurd <laughs> um and I, so i like that stuff so seeing it visually i'm like oh i really like that but then you have these moments where like there's a scene where you're like it just it wouldn't look that way though would it yeah like not even like the special effects just the lighting and the coloring i'm like but in real life if i walked in there it wouldn't look that way that's like, forever that's my choice. argument for the cheaper camera you know like Bring back the 35 millimeter. <laughs> it's not cheaper anymore. That would be a lot more expensive these days. Um, a lot more free-flowing camera movement in this movie, too, mm-hmm. though. Um, yeah, a lot of it felt like a steady cam. Like, it felt like we were moving with the action, especially in those earlier shots when we're going through the apartment. felt very bad boys you know, <laughs> with uh, the Will Smith and the Martin Lawrence. I didn't like it at some points because there were some points where they were doing it. It's a it. little dizzy. Yeah, there are some points when they're doing it when it's just like a shot of a person talking. And yeah, it is very dizzying because it's like, whoa, like, are we drifting around so much? (laughs) But it is neat whenever it's like an action sequence where like a lot of shit's going on because then you feel kind of chaotic too. Yeah. But yeah, I think at the beginning, if I'm remembering right, whenever he knocks on Matt's door and he's trying to like get him to admit that he is who he's looking for, I think I remember the camera kind of swaying around a bit and mm-hmm. I was like, why are we moving so much? <laughs> like, just sit still. We're Put it on a tripod. <laughs> um, I think that's all my notes, though. That's all we got. Do you have any like final takeaways as a, as a filmmaker for it? I have mixed feelings. Um, Hit I, me I, with the mixed feelings. I think I'm going to go cine- make you dinner. I think cinematically, it's definitely an upgrade. Um, I think it looks prettier than the other films. I think 
Bruce Willis had time to grow with it, so his acting performance mm-hmm. feels a bit more sincere than it did. Like, I like the first movie, and there's a charm to his character in the first movie, but um, this movie feels a bit more sincere and a bit more like he's a guy who is just trying to do what he feels like is right yeah. and has something to lose at the end of the day uh, versus especially number two. It felt like he never cared at all that his wife was on the plane <laughs> and he was just blowing shit up. Um, so I like the, I feel like the movie's better production and the character, um, has grown a lot with the franchise and the, like, the way the characters play off of each other for the most part is, um, like kind of charming in its own way, but yeah. It's old versus new. I I feel Mm. a bit like this franchise is a franchise that found a formula that worked and they kept just trying to find a way to replay the same formula. While the rest of the action world was trying to also replay the same formula. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying people aren't guilty of that in general. I mean, that's why there are genres. Yeah, no, I mean, like when they're like, it's Die Hard, but it's on a plane. Like (laughs) at a certain part, it's Die Hard, but it's Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know when people do that. I've I've probably even uh, ripped off other people's stuff unintentionally myself. But yeah, it does feel like it was a franchise that found a niche that could not let go of its niche. Mm -hmm. And the one time... They tried to. They were so bad at it, so they just, like, hardcore went yeah. back into their Go niche. back to the character. Yeah. When we make um, Harry Potter movies, we follow Harry Potter formula. We do. <laughs> so while Bruce Willis, the person, is evolving and his performance is evolving, and I guess technically the characters may be sort of evolving, it also feels like it's not really evolving at all. It's just the same character. Um, just older and a little more hardened being thrown back into the same situations again and again and again. And we're kind of relying on Bruce, the actor, to carry the movie. Yeah. And it's the, that's my very similar takeaway, is this is the same Bruce Willis we see, I believe, in an Expendables number two or number three. It's the same Bruce we see in Red, which I love because it's got John Malkovich as the like LSD assassin. They're like all the assassins and shit. But it's older Bruce Willis. Like he became like a character type. He did. Uh, is it Hostage? The call is in the house. You know, <laughs> he he grew into this role as John McClane. This just felt like I, I I loved seeing him as John older, because it felt like oh shit I can still do this guy I, I get to play him once more <laughs> you know <laughs> like, it's been eleven years since I got to do this you which know? is sometimes fun for fans which like, is well it's the same sort of fun like we're gonna eventually pretty soon rewatch um or not rewatch watch for the first time the re-release of The Godfather three. And the only enjoyable aspect of Godfather 3 is you get to see Al Pacino take on Michael one more time. And you can tell that he loves that character. And his scenes are so goddamn dynamic. The rest of the movie's bullshit. <laughs> you get to see, like, it came out in the 90s. He stopped doing that character in the 70s. He's done a whole bunch more roles. And now he's playing older Michael Corleone. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fun to see him. Just when I thought I was out (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't i don't know like i'm not mad about it like i said it's fun for fans i think especially um people that were like kids whenever the original ones came out and then kind of getting to revisit that when you're a little bit older because like i said i would have been graduating high school when this came out so i would have been like 18 yeah it was like Um, 15 16 when this came out i saw it in theaters with my dad and i'd never seen the original and i was like blown away and then he you know sat me down and we watched one and three because he agreed with me two was dog shit because (laughs) he was a flight engineer and he had problems with helicopters and airplanes and movies, and four pissed him off, but one and three were perfect. Don't <laughs> <coughs> die. Choking on beer. You ready to call it, my love? Yeah. You look like you're about to fall asleep on me. Do you want to get some chicken wings in your belly? Sure. Do you want to watch some Bates Motel? Sure. Do you want to sing Credence? Clearwater Revival, because each one of these films, and we never really discussed that for any of them, I don't think, has their own song. song. 
Can we, how many can we remember? This is the first one that's remember? like a more modern song, though. The other ones are... Um, classic Christmas music. Well, the ants go marching in. Yeah. It's a Christmas well, song, it's but classic, like, yeah. like something you would expect your grandparents to have listened to. What was Hans Gruber's Ode to Joy? Something like that, yeah. We're just gonna say it and move on, and you can kill me later. Number two was Akavano. Jingle Bells. Nobody knows. Number three was the ants go marching on, and this one was. I don't know. You're gonna have to do it. I don't know it well enough to do it. Fortunate song. I know what it's called. Oh, the red, white, and blue. All right. It ain't me. I love you, sweetheart. It ain't me. And I love you guys. I ain't no fortunate one. No. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no senator's son.